We're heading towards the end of chapter 23 in Kings 2, and today we're going to learn about a new king, or a couple of new kings, and they are the sons of King Yoshiao. But as an introduction to these next uh, shiurim, as we wind down the book of Kings here, I'll say that King Yoshiao, he represented Judea's last chance. And with his death, the kingdom of Judea is going to slip, and their decline is going to come quickly. Sure, it'll last another couple decades, but it's an era of steady decline now, and Yoshiao's death was essentially the unofficial end of Judea. New kings will arise and emerge on paper. There's a kingdom of Judea, but it's a shadow of what Judea was, and these kings are a shadow of what King Yoshiao was. So let's look at our text, picking up where we left off in verse 30 in chapter 23, with the death and burial of the great King Yoshiao. And it says like this, and his servants transferred him dead from Megiddo. That's where he was slain in Megiddo in the north of Israel by Paronacho of Egypt. And they brought him to Jerusalem. And they buried him in his grave. And the people, or literally, the people of the land, but we saw that term before, those are the leaders of Judea, so this Amaharitz, these people of the land, who did they take? At Yoachaz ben Yoshiao. They took his son. His name was Yoachaz, the son of Yoshiao. And they anointed him. And they made him the king instead of his father. That is, he's replacing his father, Yoshiao. So the new king on the block is Yoachaz. And what does it say about Yoachaz? Verse 31, Ben Esrim v'shaloshana Yoachaz b'malko. And Yoachaz was 23 years old when he became the king. And he reigned for three months in Jerusalem. So if he only reigned three months, you know something's going to happen to him. And it's going to happen fast. And his mother's name was Hamutal. So the name of Yoachaz's mother was Hamutal, the daughter of Yermiao of Livna. So Yoshiao had a couple of wives. And from these wives, he had four different sons who became kings. They're all brothers. And Yoachaz is the first one here who becomes the king. And his mother, again, Hamutal, but Yermiao. And that's the same mother of Tzitkiao, who will be the final king of Judea. And before we go on, let's look at this Redak here. The Redak notices that it says that Yoachaz, the son of Yoshiao, was anointed. He was anointed by the Amaretz. So he says, why do you anoint him? We don't see kings being anointed every time. It goes from father to son, father to son. Why do you have to anoint him? So the Redak says, ben You don't have to anoint the son of a king. And that's what we saw all along. The sons of the kings would rule. There was no special anointment. And then he explains, But we did have a situation when they anointed Solomon. Why did they anoint Solomon? I mean, he's the son of David. Why did they have to anoint him? There was a dispute with Odaniyahu. And when there's a dispute, then you do have to anoint the king so everybody knows who the real king is. And he gives another example, the Radak, that Yoash mitnei machloket shalataliyah. We had another time, we did anoint a king of David, and that was Yoash, because there was a machloket with Ataliyah. And of course, Ataliyah was that witch who ruled for six years, and they wanted to overthrow her. So during her reign, they anointed in a rebellion, Yoash. So sometimes you do anoint the king to make it public, so everybody knows. So why are you anointing in this situation, Yoachaz? Why didn't it just come naturally? The Redak explains, 
There was a dispute here as well. There was a dispute with Yoyakim. He had another brother named Yoyakim. Who was older than him by two years. And they anointed Yoachaz because of the Machloket. So everybody will know that he's the king, even though he's two years younger than his brother. So there had to be a special anointing here. We see a little bit of a conflict. Yoachim was also a son of Yoshao. He's older than him. As we'll see when you go to verse 36, Yoachim was 25 years old. And here Yoachaz is 23 years old. Why was Yoachaz anointed and not Yoachim? We'll get into that a little bit later. But obviously there was a machloket here. And that's why you have a special anointment here for Yoachaz, son of Yoshiao. And what kind of king was Yoachaz? And he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, like all that his forefathers had done. So when they say his fathers had done evil too, they're not talking about his father. His father, Yoshia, was very righteous, but his forefathers, that's his grandfather and his great-grandfather, Amon and Menashe, he went in their way. He did evil. But the Mitzudat David says he wasn't always that way. That, as mentioned, Yoachaz was originally righteous. That's why he was chosen, but reverted to the ways of his forebearers after he became the king. So Yoachaz started out good, ended up bad, but it only lasted for three months anyway. Okay, let's see what happens to this Yoachaz in verse 33. And Paro Nacho imprisoned him in a place called Rivla, Beretz Hamat which is in the land of Hamat, we're talking the northern edge of Judea, to prevent him from reigning in Jerusalem. So that's what it says, Paro of Egypt. He imprisons him in Eretz Hamat to prevent him from ruling in Jerusalem. And he imposed a fine on the land consisting of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. So, why would Paranacho, out of nowhere, it seems, imprison Yoachaz? So the Radak explains. He says that apparently Yoachaz attempted to avenge his father's death at the hands of Paranacho. As we saw a few verses ago, Yoshiao was killed by Paranacho and the Egyptian armies. So his son, being a loyal son, wanted to march on Egypt during the absence of Paranacho. After all, Paranacho was busy in a campaign in the north. He was on the way to Babylon. That's when Yoshiao intercepted him. So while he was campaigning over there against the Babylonians, Yoachaz, son of Yoshiao, marched on Egypt and dealt it a severe blow. But on his return home, he confronted Paro in the land of Hamat. That's what the verse says. And Paro captured him and imprisoned him. And he levied a penalty on the land of Judea for attacking his country. So that explains what Paronacho had against King Yoachaz. And then the next verse, in verse 34, it says, And then what did Paronacho do after he arrested Yoachaz? He crowned Eliakim, the son of Yoshiao. No, the son of Yoshiao. His name is Eliakim. Tachat Yoshiao, instead of Yoshiao, his father. And he changed his name to Yoachim. That is, it went from Eliakim to Yoachim. He took Yoachaz, who came to Egypt, and died there. So Yoachaz dies in captivity. And a new king on the block, his name is 
Yehoiakim, who he used to be called Eliakim, notice they're very similar names. Eliakim means the Lord shall uphold him. Eliakim. And he changed it to Yehoiakim, which that Yo is just like El. It also means the Lord shall uphold him. But what we want to know is what's going on here. Why is Paro anointing Yehoiakim over here? Why is Paro getting so involved here? He's hiring kings. He's firing the kings of Judea. Well, according to the Radak that we read earlier, it's clear why Paro wants to replace Yehoiachaz. Since Yehoiachaz went to war against him, it said he battled against Egypt when Paro was out of town. Then we understand why Paro wants to get rid of Yehoiachaz and put in his place somebody else. But not everybody holds it that way. Not all the commentators say that Yehoiachaz attacked Egypt and Paro was something against him. According to the papers of Rav Steinjels, Paro Necho simply sees himself as master of the region right now. And since Yehoiachaz was crowned without his permission, he was crowned by the Amayarets, by the leaders of Judea, Paro removed Yehoiachaz, arrests him, and replaces him with his older brother, Yehoiakim. And notice it says that Yehoiakim was crowned Tachat Yoshiao Aviv, in the place of his father Yoshiao. He's really been crowned in the place of Yehoiachaz, who ruled before him. But the verse says, in place of Yoshiawa's father, as if Yoachaz never existed, because Egypt doesn't recognize or acknowledge Yoachaz because he wasn't chosen by them. So it's like Eliakim, he's become the heir, and Yoachaz never existed. So what we basically have here is a vassal now. Yoachim is basically a puppet of Egypt who's been propped up by Peronacho. And that's the significance of Peronacho changing the name of the Judean king. That's to impress upon him that Peronacho is the master over the Judean king, so much so that even his name was given to him by Paro. I mean, what's more basic than a guy's name? And we'll see down the line, the king of Babylon later on will change the name of the Judean king from Matanyahu to Tzitkiyahu, the final king of Judea. His name was Tzitkiyahu. That was a name given to him by the Babylonian king. Again, to remind the kings of Judea who's really calling the shots. So let's now read on to the end of the chapter. It says like this, verse 35, And Yoyakim gave the silver and gold to Paro. That is the, the levy, the taxes that were, that were laid upon Judea in the days of his brother Yoachaz. Now it's Yoyakim's duty to pay over those taxes. So he gives the silver and gold to Paro. But how does he give it? He assessed the land, they give the silver according to Paro's orders, each one according to his assessment, he exacted the silver and gold from the people of the land, to give it to Paro. So what the verse is saying here is that Eliakim, or excuse me, his name is now Yehoiakim, that's the name Paro gave him, he is forking over the taxes to Paro, but not from his own pocket, and not from the treasuries of the temple, but he's exacting it from the people of the land according to their wealth. That's what it means, ke'arko, according to their particular situation. I guess the rich have to give more, the poor give less, but the term nagaset kesef, which could be said that he exacted the payment from them, according to the mitzvah that David, he took it by force and coercion. So we see a problematic king already here in that verse. Yoyakim was 25 years old when he became the king. That's what we said. He's two years older than Yoachaz, right? Yoachaz was 23. He's 25. 
Yet he wasn't chosen by the people. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zvuda, the daughter of Padaya, from Ruma. And that's interesting that she's from Ruma because Ruma is a location in the Galilee, in the north of Israel. It was part of the northern kingdom. And a long time ago, Assyria and Taglat Pileser exiled the 10 tribes, exiled the Jews from Ruma. But this gives credence to what we said that in the days of Yoshiao, he was trying to bring back the 10 tribes along with Yermiao. And so he married a woman that was from that area. That means King Yoshiao, the father of Yoyakim, was connected to the 10 tribes. And then it says, And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, like all that his forefathers had done. He's going in the way of Menashe and Ammon. And on that sour note, the chapter ends. So that's what we have concerning Yehoiakim. That's it. We see he was evil. We see he was a vassal to Egypt. We see his kingdom was heavily taxed. Now the book of Chronicles adds something very negative. It says, the And all his abominations. That's how they sum him up. But we still don't know what abominations. What abominations did he commit? Again, it's not written here. It says he sinned, but it doesn't say anything about tovot, abominations. So in order to know what abominations they're talking about, which appears in Chronicles 2, chapter 35, think of a hyperlink. You put a little hyperlink on abominations and we click on that hyperlink and it brings us to the book of Jeremiah. And in the book of Jeremiah, then we start to get a lot of information about King Jehoiakim. Just like in the days of Chizkiyahu, we checked out the book of Isaiah a lot because Isaiah was the prophet of those times. Well, Yermiao, he's the prophet now and he's going to be the prophet to the end. And he has plenty to say about these final kings of Judea and it's mostly pretty negative. Remember, Yehoiakim was the oldest son of Yoshiao, as we mentioned. And so he should have been the natural heir to the throne. And when his father was killed, we saw the leaders of Judea prefer to crown Yoachaz instead of him. And it could have been the instruction of Yoshiao from the beginning, before he died, to anoint Yoachaz and not Yoachim. Obviously, either it was Yoshiao or the elders there who made the decisions, they saw flaws in the character of Yoachim. Or they saw something in his policies or his ashkafa that caused them to reject him as heir to the throne. So they took Yoachaz. But after three months, Yoachaz is gone. And Yoachim rises to power anyway, not with the nation's approval, but with Paronacho's approval. He's Paronacho's hand-picked candidate. And we have to figure out why they don't want him. It obviously raises suspicion that Yoachim was cooperating with the Egyptians and maybe betrayed his younger brother who was fighting the Egyptians. And that's why the Egyptians wanted him and not Yoachaz. Now this isn't written explicitly in the scripture, but it's gonna to start to make sense when we learn about what kind of person this Yoachim is all about. We'll see from the book of Jeremiah and we'll see from other Midrashim, we're talking about an egomaniac, vindictive tyrant type of king. And in our next year, we will get a closer look at this Yoachim through the prophecies of Jeremiah and through the Agodotot. Stay tuned.